Welcome to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith in Marriage. I'm your host, Dr. Mario Sacasa, and so happy to have you with me today. All right, you know how you want to do everything in life, but you just feel like you can't do it all? <laughs> if that's you, <laughs> raise your hand. I mean, you don't really have to raise your hand because anyways, this is just an audio podcast. There's no video, so I can't really see anything. But seriously, how do you find the balance between the practical and the idealistic? This is like the elusive unicorn in my life. Can I follow my dream and provide for my family? Is this even a possibility or am I just trying to live in la-la land here? So joining me on today's show is Paul George, author of the book Rethink Happiness by Avi Maria Press. He is a popular globe-trotting speaker to youth and young adults. And in his spare time, he runs a couple of nonprofits and is married with five kids. So yeah, he's a busy dude trying to find a happy balance in life. In today's episode, we discuss how to live with conviction while addressing the practical demands of life. He expands upon his personal mission of helping people to understand the art of living and why mentorship is key for it. We talk about how to handle dreams left unfulfilled and knowing when it's time to move on. We chat about the need for ongoing personal conversion, and we end this episode discussing how to teach our kids the importance of working through their failures. Guys, this is another great episode for you today. So when it's done, please don't forget to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or Spotify, and if possible, leave an awesome review. Let's get into the show. Paul George, thanks for joining me on the Always Hope podcast today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks so much for having me on. And uh, good to catch up. You were actually on my podcast not long ago, which, uh, you know, we're going to get out there on the interwebs and we had a great conversation. So uh, it's good to be with you. Yeah, man. Thanks. Thanks for the invitation to be on your show. I, I, it was great to to talk about hope and and uh, Good Friday. Um, so I'm I'm eager, man. I'm excited to to have this conversation here on on my podcast and being able to just kind of continue some of the maybe some of the thoughts that, that we were having there. Um, so I think today what I what I'd like to just kind of talk about is, um, I mean, I first heard of you through your work with the Steubenville conferences and Life Teen. Um, I was not an active youth, uh, I guess in, I should, how do I say that? I, I wasn't, I wasn't in my youth. I wasn't involved in, in my faith. It wasn't until college that I had my conversion. Um, so years later, people talking about you and stuff. And, and I think that's great. But as I was preparing for this interview, um, I think one of the things that really has, has intrigued me about you, to be honest, is, is that you have a breadth of an audience and, uh, and I think more than I realized, uh, which is just awesome. You know, the sense that you you do all the speaking engagements uh, throughout the world, I believe, uh, speaking to teens and 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 speaking about conversion and the Lord. But then you also got your fingers in some other stuff. I mean, I, I, you have some ministries and businesses that you run: uh, Adore, uh, Art of Living, Lead Professionals Group, uh, The Vigil Project. You got your book that you just published through Ave Maria, Three Think Happiness, which we'll talk about in a little bit. You got your podcast in addition to all your speaking engagements. So. I guess the first question that I really just want to ask you is just tell me about these various initiatives and what has drawn you to, to live uh, with such a diversified work portfolio. <laughs> some of it's uh, some of it's just basic need, like to work <laughs> in ministry in the church. Like you kind of, 
you kind of have to have your hands in a lot of things to make ends meet on a practical level, yeah. you know? So there's very few uh, guys my age and your age that um, can, can stay in, in the lane of ministry and make it work. So it's it, on some ways it's practical. The other ways I think it's part of my, maybe my personality and gift set is, is to vision and, and, and breathe life into things. And uh, it's part of the consulting that I do. And, um, starting a couple of nonprofits. And so I think it's kind of a both and there, uh, for me. Yeah. But I think what's inspiring about it is, you know, for so many people who, who graduate and get their degrees in theology, or they, they feel that they, they only really have the option of working for the church itself, uh, being a DRE or being a, a family life minister or teaching theology at high school, which, which are all great uh, options and professions. Um, but I guess I, I share that entrepreneurial spirit. And, uh, and so I don't know what, what, what words of encouragement would you give to somebody who's a young person graduating and, and thinking that their options are, are limited to only specific church ministry like that, and that they can have something more freedom and, and uh, being able to kind of piecemeal something like, like what you're doing, any words that you would offer somebody like that? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think oftentimes we think, you know, if I'm going to be entrepreneurial, I have to do it in the business world, which is great if that's if that's where you're at and your gift. But I, I think some of the, the greatest things happen within ministry and the church are people who are willing to give their gifts. And that could be in a parish or a diocese, but it, it can happen outside of that and in, in different nonprofits and and ways to serve the world and people. What I would tell someone is like, what, you know, what has God birthed inside of you? not only your natural gifts, but, uh, just in your own discernment, like what's he put in your heart. And, you know, I often refer to the, the old Testament, uh, guy named Nehemiah, who was just an average guy who, who God birthed inside of Nehemiah, a burden to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And he was neither a, a builder or a visionary, but God put it in him to do it. So, you know, I think God puts it in us. And, and then I think we should just learn from other people, particularly if we're young, you know, um, just fall under other people who you can learn and grow from. Um, and that, that's a good start. That's beautiful. The Nehemiah story that's, that's told in the book visioneering. I forget the author's name. Um, but I remember reading that a few years back and, uh, does a wonderful job kind of speaking to that. Um, yeah, I think if I may just, the reason I'm so intrigued by this, honestly, is, is it kind of in my life. I think I'm, I'm, I'm kind of similar. I, I maybe in some ways I just kind of get bored with what I'm doing. And, and I've realized like, I just need to have my fingers in a lot of different things. And I think, I, I think, <laughs> I think it's only like recently that I realized I, I could stop apologizing for that. Um, and, mm. uh, and just kind of accept that as, as maybe part of who I am and part of my makeup as, as how God yeah. made me. And, uh, and, and saying like, Hey man, that's okay. Um, and so like for me, I think what I realized is, is that, but then the other piece is kind of like with the gift of the internet and being able to do things like this, like a podcast or, or writing is, is, is that like, I, I guess I stopped waiting for an invitation to the table and, uh, and was like, no man, if, if God, like you said, if God has put something on your heart, um, then, then you kind of owe it to God to go follow that and, uh, and to go do it. And, um, yeah. And so I, so yeah, like I kind of have, it's like, Oh, cool. Let's, well, let's go. I mean, I don't have to wait for, I don't have to ask permission. Like, let's just kind of do it and let's see what happens. Um, so I think that's another word that I would add, you know, to, to 
to the young person, like you said, is certainly find somebody who's doing it, but, uh, but give yourself permission to do it first and foremost. Um, because I think sometimes we don't, we don't do that enough. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. No, we hold back. Um, you know, and there could be a lot of obstacles. And I know for you, obviously as a counselor, you, you, you see in people and you talk to people where so much of our family of origin or our, our history or our past or our brokenness gets in the way from, for us moving forward, you know, and really expanding and thriving in what God wants. Life's hard enough as it is. Then, then you take on all the, all of our issues and sometimes it just gets really difficult um, to move forward. And I, that's why it's important to learn and grow from other people because we can't do anything on our own, you know, and, and you give me great consolation and saying, you know, what, to give yourself permission just to be who you are, I think is important because I think for so long I felt guilty for who I am or my gifts or the fact that I, I get bored doing one thing, you know, um, part of what keeps me alive is having my hands in in a few things. And I'm not saying like to be overly busy or, or to be unhealthy, but be diverse, you know, uh, in, and I've just really in the last few years just come to a point in my life where I'm like, I think that's just who God made me to be, you know, and I need to be okay with that. Amen. Amen. Yeah. I mean, I think you spoke about just a recognition that there's certain narratives in our mind that we need to be cognizant of and, uh, and to kind of actively work against them. Um, and so that, that certainly is it. But I, so let me, let me ask you another question here then, you know, with all the various things that you, you got going on, I mean, I imagine that balance have finding a happy balance in life can, can be challenging. Um, have there been times or any stories that, that you are willing to share where you, you haven't found that balance, uh, where things have been a little bit off kilter? Yeah, 100%. I think the, the greatest lessons we learn in life, particularly in leadership, is through failure, um, not through success. Um, you know, and you could take that into any arena, education or sports or, um, but when you get into the adult life, I think we learn so much from failure. I remember about 10 years in our marriage, I um, <clears throat> co-founded a nonprofit and part of it was, you know, I was traveling all over the world, all over speaking and trying to grow the ministry. And, um, part of my personality is when I do something, I'm all in. You know, if I believe in something like you have my DNA, you know, and um, when you're young and energetic, sometimes you just don't know what balance is. And um, I remember there just being tension at home, my wife, three kids at the time, young at home, kind of carrying the burden of, of home life. And I'm out there trying to make ends meet a lot of good things. Right. And I remember I was traveling so much that uh, I've um, I passed out on an airplane of exhaustion. I'd never passed out before in my life, like not once, never since. And uh, I remember getting home and there's tension at the house and I'm exhausted and I'm overworked. And we just had it out and really a come to Jesus kind of season of like, I need to rethink the way I'm living. I need to rethink what balance is, what, what healthy jumping in is, what what does it mean to be all in, but, uh, have priorities and have the right things in place. And it was about 10 years in our marriage. And not only was it a great transition of me learning uh, about work, but more importantly, learning how to put my vocation first. Um, and we look back on that time and we learned a lot of lessons from that. And, you know, we've been married 22 years 
And uh, that was a that was an integral turning point, uh, I could say, in our life. Um, well, thanks for sharing that, man. That's a it's a great story. Well, first, congratulations to you and your wife being married for twenty two years. What a what a gift. Yeah. Um, but when what I'm thinking about when when you say that, you know, with that at that moment of ten years of passing out on an airplane, God bless you. I mean, that's that's certainly just. <laughs> I can't even imagine <laughs> what the stewardess thought. You know, <laughs> like you're saying. It was before. so funny. <laughs> like I. Uh, I took a red eye home on a day off to see my wife and kids the next morning and to bring them to school and then drove, drove back to an airport. And at that point I was living in Houma, Louisiana and would drive an hour to the new Orleans airport. I flew out of there for like eight years and, um, I was just, yeah, I was just running on nothing and, uh, doing the best I could, but certainly out of balance Yeah, <clears throat> looking back and, uh, uh, because I was flying so much, not because I had any money, I got upgraded uh, to first class and uh, I went to use the bathroom. And next thing I know, there's this beautiful flight attendant standing over me saying, are you OK? <laughs> and I kind of wiping my forehead and I looked up and I was like, are you an angel? <laughs> you know? And she started laughing and then I, it, it just kind of broke the ice. And I just remember thinking, oh, my gosh, this is this is probably a low moment in my life. And, uh, luckily it was that it wasn't like drugs or an yeah. affair or anything yeah. like that, but it was, it was, uh, that moment of just like, man, I have never been this tired to the point where my body just gave out. And, <laughs> but we ended up laughing about it and I was telling my wife about it, but yeah, it was an eye opener and pretty funny at the same time. There's a quote by mother Teresa that I'm thinking about right now that says something like, um, you know, the devil will often try to distract us by many good things. So we are prevented from doing the one great thing that God is asking us mm -hmm. to do. And, and I think that's kind of what I'm thinking about here is the sense that, wow, I mean, you're doing good things. I mean, good things, traveling the world, speaking, uh, running your nonprofit, uh, ministering to people, but it's not, it can't be at the expense of your family. Um, and, and at the expense of your, your marriage, um, because then that, that wouldn't be compatible that, that God wouldn't call you to your vocation and also then cause, you know, call you to do all these other things that would be un, unfair. Um, so it seems that in that moment that like you, you learned how to, how to reprioritize and learn how to let go of some things. Is, is, is that right? 100%. And I think so many people just kind of, kind of coast and say, you know, I have a good marriage, but it's not great. And I think that was it, that for us, we had a good marriage, but wasn't great. God wants us to have a great vocation. And, you know, there were obstacles to greatness. Um, and I think it was, you know, because there were a lot of good things surrounding us uh, and a lot of options. And yeah, I think oftentimes we get stuck in that, you know, St. Ignatius also in his rules of discernment is, you know, discernments between two goods, you know, and it's really discerned between the greater of the two goods. And oftentimes we just want to keep all the goods on the table um, and, and not make some tough decisions. I think sometimes we have to come to a place where we have to make tough, de tough decisions for, for, for young adults, for young people, I call it optionitis. Um, and you know, we, it's, it's like this disease of options and really we have to come to a place where we're willing to eliminate things in our lives so that we can experience the greater things that God has for us. Yeah. Amen. I think, I think you're right on it with that. What, what are things that have kind of guided you now as you learn how to say no to what seem to be really good opportunities? 
Well, I, I think ongoing prayer and discernment, spiritual direction, but uh, learning to always discern through the lenses of my vocation first. Um, and that's been huge for us. So, you know, we're, we, we discern together, like what's good, what's balanced, what's healthy for us, for our marriage, for our family, for our kids. Uh, and that in itself just kind of stabilizes our world, you know? Uh, so if it's not, you know, we kind of use this, this rule of discernment for us. If it's not, if it's not good for one, it's not good for, for either, you know, it's not good for both. And, uh, that's a good check and balance when we're discerning things and deciding things, you know? And so if it's a heavy travel time and we decide, Hey, this is what we're supposed to do together. And, and I support you in that, then, then we're, we're, we do it. But if it's not good for the other, it's like, yeah, this is probably not a good idea. What a gift in your vocation, a gift certainly in your own docility towards your wife and, and again, you know, being able to listen to, invite her into those conversations and not just being a, a bulldozer and saying, no, honey, this is what we're going to do and, uh, and just kind of taking over. Um, so shifting gears here just for a second, um, or I guess really continue the conversation. As I mentioned, I think you, you, you have a, a wide breadth of audiences that you speak to, um, from youth, young adult, and in professionals. Um, what, what do you see as commonalities across the board uh, with the people that you speak to? Um, I know that your, your message will get tailored in a certain way to the particular audience you're speaking to, but, but what kind of undergirds it all? Like what, what do you see as just kind of the message that, that needs to be communicated? Yeah, I think, you know, what was the starting point for that was the book I wrote, Rethink Happiness. It came out, you know, a year ago, but, you know, I really started thinking about that years and years ago through all my talks and conversations. And then there's so much more past the book, but I think ultimately it comes down to this is what I've noticed is that no matter what someone's age is, where they come from, what their background is, really what continent they're from, ethnicity, religion, is that everyone deep inside their heart desires uh, to be happy, to be fulfilled. No one desires to be miserable in their life. No one. Uh, and for you and I as Christians, we certainly believe that the fulfillment of that is relationship with Christ. That's, that's not only our starting point, it's our end point. It's our, it's our springboard. It's our landing. It's everything. But um, whether people know that or not, there's a, still a desire created in them for fulfillment, for purpose and for happiness. Um, and I find that across the board all the time in my conversations. Yeah. I mean, that, that certainly is it, you know, is that our, our, desires we rest in the Lord. This is Dr. Mario, and I'm taking a quick break from my conversation with Paul George to encourage you to find me on Instagram or Facebook at Dr. Mario Sacasa. That way you can stay up to date with my latest thoughts and happenings. And I love being able to dialogue with people on social media. That sounds crazy, but it's actually the truth. So please find me on those platforms and I'll look forward to being able to chat with you there. There's another term that you've used here, I think in, in the book or even in maybe some other interviews I saw is uh, the art of living. Um, mm -hmm. I know that's a, that's a term used that Pope Benedict coined, um, but what does that mean to you? What, what, what does that mean to, to live life or to find that art of, of living a, a happy life as you're talking about. Yeah. I came across that quote in 2000. So, you know, 19 years ago, I've been wrestling with that quote. 
like honestly, like just trying to mull over it and, and just, I wish I could have a conversation with Pope Benedict who was Cardinal Ratzinger at the time that he wrote that or gave a homily about it. And, uh, he basically said this to paraphrase that, uh, the new evangelization or evangelization to, to bring Christ to the world, to teach people, uh, about Christ is, is, uh, to teach people the art of living. What does it mean to truly live? And it really hit me because, you know, we, we live in a very isolated society and world. We don't necessarily live in community or live in relationship for the most part, um, and yet, if life is to fully be experienced and lived, it's taught. And if, then if it's not taught, then it's not learned, then we have an issue. And I think that's a huge issue that we have uh, in our culture is that the art of living, um, we don't learn the art of living or the art of living that we learn is, is maybe a, um, you know, an art that's not uh, the best you know, it's not a best depiction of, of the way we're supposed to live. Um, so, yeah, it, that's been a huge quote for me. It, it's kind of, you know, if I had a tattoo quote, that would be it, you know. I'm not asking you to reveal where you have your tattoos, so don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. <laughs> but, uh, I, yeah, what I'm thinking about is, uh, is JP2 in his letter to artists says that everybody is an artist in the sense that everybody is called to make a, a masterpiece of their life. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody has, has the sense of, of trying to make something beautiful out of the experiences of their every day. Um, and, and even as you're talking about the art of living, what piece that you've gone back to, or even a couple of times, just even in an interview has been this notion of mentorship and, and recognition that you need somebody who's kind of a couple steps ahead of your, your a couple steps ahead of you to be able to help you and guide you as you're, as you're walking through life and, and asking, are you living it well? And that can help shape you in, in the masterpiece that you're trying to make. Is, is, that, is that fair? Is that right? Do you think that that sense of mentorship is, is really crucial to us as, as we kind of grow as I think Christians? It's, I think it's huge. And if you take marriage, for instance, because it's, it's an easy example to use, is you know, the starting point for our marriage, the beginning, is our learned experience that could be good or bad, whatever we've absorbed, um, growing up, uh, whatever we've seen, uh, that's an art that we've learned, whether we know it or not. And then we get into marriage and you're like, where do I have all these beliefs or these learned systems? Well, it, it was the art that we were taught. And if it, we weren't taught well, uh, then, then that's, that's kind of what we, what we start with. And I remember, um, you know, when I was engaged to be married, um, my, my parents were divorced. And so, you know, there were issues there, you know, some gaps missing in, in the art, uh, in the masterpiece of what I saw as marriage. And I just started making a list of, of men that I respected who were married and just started setting up meetings with them and saying, teach me what you know, teach me what you know. I, because I have zero chance of doing this on my own. Um, and it was a major moment in my life of learning an art that I didn't know how to paint basically. Um, and I still have a lot to learn, but, but it was a, it was a, a crucial time of, of, um, kind of filling the gaps that I needed. And so we, we can learn that we, we can learn the art of living from other people in, in healthy and good ways, um, surrounding ourselves with, with the right people 
who can mentor us and walk with us, whether it be friends or mentors or spiritual directors, counselors, um, all those things I think are crucial to helping us to live the life that God's calling us to live. Yeah. Amen. Listen, I, I, I'll give a little plug here for uh, Ryan and Mary Rose Verrett and their program witness to love. I, mm-hmm. I, I interviewed uh, Mary Rose uh, in episode 18 of the podcast where we talked about dating and their program is anchored right on everything you're speaking about. That mentor couples is, is the key here because so many of us, and even of us who've had good marriages and good families, family life, family of origins, we all come into this with some narrative that isn't compatible with whatever my spouse's narrative is. And inevitably there's going to come moments where we have to kind of reconcile what I consider normal and what she considers normal as we try to make a new normal in this family. Um, right. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's the challenge that's there for all of us. Um, and what I love in, um, in, the, in the book of Jeremiah, there's this passage where Jeremiah goes to the potter and God tells him to go to the potter's house. And uh, he says, he goes to the potter's house and the, and the potter is at the potter wheel. And, uh, you know, some versions say that um, the clay in his hands was spoiled. Um, and then you're like, oh, wow, what, what's he going to do? And then it says, uh, but, but he saw it, uh, uh, he, he remade it. He reworked it because it was good for the potter to do. And that to me is just like, whatever our life looks like, whatever our, our, our moment, our present, or even our past looks like God has the ability to not throw it away, throw us away, take it all and, and rework it into something new because it's good for him to do. That's what the character of the father does for us. Yeah, it's beautiful. There's, so we think about balance. Balance isn't just about finding balance in the many activities that we're doing present. But balance sometimes means as we're projecting down the line what we want to do, what our plan is, we have to find the balance between the plan and then kind of what happens. <laughs> and right. your, your story that you share beautifully in the book is that your desire was to be a professional athlete and you played collegiate baseball, but you had some injuries in high school and in college that changed that plan for you in your life. Um, so what can you say more about that in terms of how do you, how does one find that balance of saying, okay, I, I want to have a plan, be a professional athlete in your situation, but then something happens that's beyond my control and I'm forced to now shift my expectations and what I think my value is in life. Yeah. I mean, I think I still have that dream, man, no matter how old I get, right? <laughs> like uh, <laughs> we, we all do. That's uh, what EA sports is for, know, right? That's what the, that's what video right. games are for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or just beating your kids up in the backyard with uh, that too. Yeah. That too. Know, something like that. Um, uh, <laughs> so, you know, that's the beauty of, of God is like, he could take whatever our dream or, um, what, whatever our hopes were, uh, goals. And if they don't work out, he can reshape them into something new. And I think that's, what's really important for people to hear is that, um, you know, God doesn't throw it away. Like he, he remakes it into something new. And yeah, there was a point in my life where I had to, you know, reconsider what is it that I want to do? What is it that, that God wants me to do in my life? And there's certain moments of discernment that are difficult, but God doesn't leave us stranded. He puts a new vision and a new passion on our heart, a new direction. Uh, for us to go. And, you know, although we didn't achieve maybe our ultimate dream, uh, God, God uh, sets a new dream and a new path in front of us. 
In the I book, think that's important. Amen. No, in, in the book, you talk about a particular moment. It was a, it was a shoulder injury, if I'm getting it right. You tore some ligaments and you had two yep. options with regards to surgery. Can you, can mm-hmm. you retell that story? Yeah. So that, you know, basically the two options were, uh, you know, they, they could try a surgery that would let me play again. Um, but I would probably re injure it. Like, you know, it was just going to kind of be one of those repetitive things, uh, over and over, or they could do a surgery where, you know, I'd have like 80% mobility and, you know, it would never injure again, but I would never be able to play competitively again. I, it, kind of had to make the decision was sort of back in my court and you know i was at a point in my life where I was like you know i will basically want to you know live on a bus and play in the minor league the whole life you know mm-hmm. or for the next few years or do, or is it just time to move on like is it time for god to like put a new dream in my heart and let go of this one that i'm clinging on to and i think oftentimes we do cling on to things that we want or we've done for so long and we're afraid to move on to something new certainly i went through that and that was a moment but god never abandons us you know he says that in scripture for sure i'll never leave you nor forsake you uh he'll be with us he'll set a new course for us you know and i love in exodus he uses the line uh um he rerouted them he rerouted the israelites Uh, They were going a certain direction, yet he rerouted them. And I love that line because I've I've found that to be true in my life. I'm going a certain direction and God reroutes me uh, because he knows what's ahead and he knows it's best. Was there any grieving that you had to go through in your own heart as God was rerouting your life? Yeah, there's, there's a, I would say a lot of grieving and I'm sure you've, you've worked with people who have changed careers or even post athletes, there's a certain depression, um, a certain grieving, a process, uh, you know, of letting go and moving on. Uh, and it, it kind of comes in phases, you know, it took a while, took years to let go of the dream. It, it took a while just to move on to get over it. Um, but I think, you know, um, it's like grieving anything else. You know, um, you kind of have to go through that process. And in, in clinging to hope in the midst of it. And there's a, a book that just came out, I think just this week or this month by Wright Thompson, who is a, a accomplished sports writer on ESPN.com. And he wrote this book called The Cost of These Dreams. And it's a collection of stories and interviews that he did with professional athletes, retired professional athletes and businessmen and, and kind of interviewing them after the fact. And the one that's getting the most traction is he did this extended interview with Michael Jordan and everybody's asking him like, what's it like to talk to Michael Jordan now 54 and watching him play basketball and stuff. And, and, and right, you know, says it's quite beautiful to your point. He's like, you know, the things that made Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan are the things that are killing him now in mid age. Right. Where, Where he put such a high value on his performance and, and on his capacity to kill anybody, you know, on the basketball court, that, that competitiveness is is what is is making him miserable now at fifty four. Like we all have to deal with our knees kind of getting 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 a little sore as we get older. But Michael Jordan have to deal with that. Is it's just a different phenomenon because it's Michael Jordan, and so he'll he'll be competitive. You know, it's it's crazy. It's it's like, you know, he's watching basketball and he knows what the guys are doing, but his body doesn't. He knows that his body can't keep up, um, and so he's. I don't think that he has grieved his, his retirement well. And it's been what, 15 years since he's played professional basketball or something. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, 
mercy. You know, it's, it's, it, I, I see that and I'm like, man, like if he knew the Lord, right? I mean, that's, I think, I, I know that sounds simple, but, but sometimes it is, you know, it's like if he, if he could grieve that and then be willing to move on to find whatever the next dream is that God would put in his heart, he would still have the potential, the great potential to use his platform for, for great good. Um, do you, do you see that with some of the coaching that you do? I mean, I know you coach executives and individuals and, and I think he even ran a Bible study for the saints at some point. Is that right? Do, do you see this kind of difficulty yeah. of, of transitioning sometimes with people that you work with? Huge transition. Um, and I think it becomes about identity, you know, um, when our identity is in our work or in what we do or accomplish, uh, that could be in sports or in other things that when, when our identity is in those things and we're faced with letting that, that go, we don't know who we are, you know, and, and working with a young man who was a, just an absolute all-star in high school and got injured and couldn't play in college. And he's just in deep depression. And, you know, I'm like, let's put, we have to put closure. We have to move on. Like, and it's hard for him, you know? So, um, you know, like bring your Jersey and your cleats and let's talk about the memories and, and how to move on. But his identity, like, you know, and, and it was stuck in it. And now he's got to find a new one. Um, and it can't be in what he does. It has to be in who he is. That's the issue. And I think in relationship with Christ, um, Christ affirms who, what our identity is, who, who we are as sons and daughters, divine filiation. Right. And if we don't know that, I think, and this is my personal opinion, I think we'll be lost for the rest of our lives if we don't know our identity in Christ. Speak more about that, please. Yeah, because we'll seek fulfillment in anything, literally anything, uh, in an accomplishment, in a failure, in a person, in a thing, uh, in money, in fame, in fortune. Uh, you know, it, I mean, it just, it just keeps going on and on. There's, there's an, there's, it's just endless. And so the only thing that causes me or you or anyone to rest is to know who we are. Like I know who I am in Jesus and nothing else defines me. Cause if I don't know who, what or who defines me, then I'm going to constantly look for that fulfillment and that definition. Um, and yes, in some ways, that's what drives people to be super successful, the Michael Jordans of the world. Um, but what happens is all those things come to an end, all of it, you know, at some point in our life. And we're faced with the reality of who am I really, who, who really, who really defines me. Yeah. Cause it, again, it is a balance in the sense that God does call us to do great things. God does invite us to work, uh, because work is, is a sharing in his creative energies. It's, it's sharing in, in, in the life, but in and of itself, those things can't fully define us. And so often we, we, we do find that, um, the Institute for Priestly Formation, IPF, they, they, they have a saying that I, that I, I'm thinking about right now is they say it's the RIM model that relationship is first and out of relationship comes our identity and out of our identity comes our mission. And, and mission really then is that, that third piece of, of the work of what we're called to do. What, what garden are we called to, to, to plant? What, what soil are we called to till? Um, but all of that has to be rooted, as you're saying, in, in, our, in our relationship with the God and knowing that, that we're loved, whether, whether or not I'm hitting the game winner in the 1998 NBA finals or, or, or not, that God still loves me. 
um, and that he still has plan and purpose in my life. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the few times I've been around quote unquote famous people, athletes or musicians or whatever. And, um, you know, they have much, much more fame and a platform than I ever did or will, or, you know, want, but, um, there was something interesting about those that were Christians is that, uh, they were, they were grounded and rooted, you know, uh, and, like when I go home, I'm just dad. I'm just husband. Like I'm nothing else. I'm not a football player. And uh, they were okay with that. It was like, they were okay with who they were, you know? And, uh, it, that to me spoke volumes because they're going to have a much easier transition when the fame fades away and they can't play anymore and they can't have a stage anymore. Their transition is going to be a lot easier than someone who doesn't know who they are fully. Yeah. There's a quote here by St. Augustine that I want to throw out to you. It says, uh, I was in love with the idea of happiness, yet feared it where it was and fled away mm. from it in my search for it. Mm. This, I love that. This recognition that and what you're speaking about is like the sense of humility that we, we have to kind of find that rest with God. We got to know where it is, but sometimes we just want to avoid it. We run away from him uh, because we know there's a cost. That humility is, is puts us in a place where we're no longer in control and we do have to surrender to him. Um, but again, I think, I think what we're saying here is that we, we, we need that to anchor us, uh, to ground us. Um, because like you said, these athletes or these professional, um, these famous people you're talking about is like, their kids don't care how many albums they sell or how many touchdowns they score. I mean, they care in the sense that it's dad's work or mom's work. But at the end of the day, they just, they want to know if they're loved and that's, that's what they care more, most about. Yeah, no, absolutely. Without a doubt. And I think, I think it was, uh, Fulton Sheen who said that the beginning of conversion, the, the first point the the starting point of conversion is humility, um, to, to surrender, to, to, to let go of my ego, to, to let God be first, uh, before me, you know? Yeah, the, the uh, master, the master Fulton Sheen, you know, yeah, po- poverty, yep. man, poverty. It's, it's, that's all that's, that's when, when Jesus says, you know, it's, it's, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get to heaven. I, I think that that's what he's speaking about. Not so much about the bank account, but, but do we recognize like within us that, that sense of poverty that I need the Lord mm-hmm. re- regardless of how successful I am? Yeah. I mean, blessed are the poor in spirit, you know, the spiritual poverty, uh, you know, in a sense, like our world is spiritually broke, you know, in need of Jesus and the answer. Um, but the reality is we're all spiritually bankrupt, you know, without Christ. Like we, we can't fulfill ourselves. Uh, we don't, we're, we're not the center of our lives. Uh, God, God can only do that. This is Dr. Mario again. And if you've enjoyed listening to this episode or previous episodes of the Always Hope podcast, I want to invite you to join me on a special marriage retreat on July 19th through the 21st, 2019 at St. Joseph's Abbey in Covington, Louisiana. Over the course of the weekend, I will bring my signature blend of counseling knowledge, faith, personal experiences, stories, and humor to give you married couples an awesome opportunity to grow together and with the Lord. On this retreat, we'll have lectures, time of couple share time for prayer, as well as skill building exercises. It's going to be an awesome, awesome weekend. 
Space is limited, however, and I would love for you to be there with me. So if you're interested, please head on over to faithinmarriage.org for more information and to be able to register for this particular retreat or any of our future marriage retreats that we have coming up for 2019 and for 2020. So thanks, guys, and let's get back to the show. Amen. So let's let's talk back about the book a little bit and uh, kind of even get more more clearly with the happiness again. Rethink Happiness, published by Ave Maria Press. Uh, you put it out last year. Where where did the idea come from? Uh, you've you've been doing ministry for a number of years. Why why I was really it? literally? Yep. It was me wrestling with that quote from um, Cardinal Ratzinger yeah. and Pope Benedict. So in in that um, in that excerpt where he talks about the art of living, he says the Greek word for conversion, metanoia. Uh, when it's translated back means to rethink, to rethink one's life. And I just really thought about that a ton, like, you know, and wow, like that, you know, so that's what the book was about is the, the idea that we all desire happiness, hands down, like no one would ever come up to me and say, Paul, you're wrong about that. I desire to be miserable in my life. But I think that's the starting point for people asking questions about life is there's something missing. I desire something more. I desire happiness and fulfillment. And what, what Ratzinger saying is that that's the starting point for conversion to rethink one's life. Uh, and then as one begins to process that there's an introduction of the answer, which is Christ, the person. But I think you say this in the book and as Catholics, we believe certainly that conversion isn't just a one and done thing that conversion is, is a lifetime of me growing to understand what it means to be loved by Christ. And that there are key moments in our lives where God calls us to deeper conversion. Like the experience he talked about at year 10 within your marriage, that was, that was a conversion experience. That was a moment you're like, I'm miserable. <laughs> and, uh, and why, <laughs> like, what am I not doing right in my life that I need to get right? Um, and so it, it I guess I just think that in your book, you share so many stories uh, about your life and, and experiences and people you've talked to. Um, that, do, do you see that? Just that sometimes maybe we think as, as Catholics or Christians that it's like, oh, well, you know, I gave my life to Jesus and everything's supposed to be hunky-dory. Um, and then sometimes we end up getting disappointed when, when everything doesn't, doesn't kind of end up in a happy face. Yeah, I mean, I think if you even look at, at this outside of the religious element and you just say, you know, if we stop learning, we stop growing like one plus one equals two. We stop learning. We stop growing. Everybody would say, yeah, absolutely. Well, conversion is the same way. You know, if we stop, you know, thinking and rethinking how we're living and adapting that to, to farm, you know, more and more to Christ, uh, then we stop growing. Uh, and conversion for us is certainly ongoing without a doubt, because I think if we were have one conversion and our lives were just shredded apart, like we wouldn't be able to come back together. Like I I would just wouldn't be able to contain the conversion if that makes any sense. Um, because God's power is just, it's so much greater than us. And so conversion certainly can be a moment of turning around a moment of like, Oh God hasn't been a part of my life. Now he is. And yet the Lord takes us by the hand and leads us deeper into deeper conversion, ongoing conversion and holiness in our life. And if we ever subscribe to like, well, 
I, I don't, I'm not doing that anymore. Then we just stop growing. We stop learning. So what do you see are, are obstacles for ongoing conversion, ongoing rethinking our, of our happiness? I think a huge stopping point is um, healing. I think a huge stopping point is, is we become maybe aware of a broken part of our life, a wound uh, per se, and we don't know what to do with it. And we don't know where to go with it, you know? And so I think there's the tension is like, I can have a conversion and then all of a sudden, you know, I feel called to get married, but I'm afraid to death to get married, but I don't want to look at why I'm afraid. And so then I just don't experience what's on the other end of fear. So things sort of float to the surface and we don't necessarily deal with it. And then what ends up happening is like, well, my life's a wreck, you know, um, things are going awry. So I, I think that is an obstacle to answer your question. Certainly. Yeah. I'd say my experience as a counselor, when, when those moments arise, people often are like, well, how do I, how do I prepare for that? Well, y- you kind of can't, you know, there's sometimes, well, you can, I shouldn't be so, so, so negative. You, I find that there are moments where God has ordained kind of opportunities for us to grow in our healing. And, and sometimes it does require us to fall flat on our face a couple of times before we realize that even that, that narrative or that wound kind of was there. Um, so I think going back to what you're saying is that it seems that being connected to the Lord and being faithful and, and being humble before him, that even if a moment or a crisis kind of emerges, that we're, we're always still trying to, to connect with him. Um, one, one of the other things you talked about in, in the book is it's just with regards to comfort and, um, and, and being short-sighted with our decisions and, and sometimes just allowing those kind of temporal pleasures to, to get in the way of ongoing, you know, real gratification, real, real happiness. Um, and it just seems like that's so easy for us today. Is it, what, what do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, particularly, I think in our, you know, you know, we call it, you know, joking around first world problems, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a real tendency to think a lot of for ourselves and about ourselves. And, you know, I think, you know, we really kind of have to pop out of that. You know, I've never talked to someone who gave money, who served someone, who helped someone in need, who felt horrible about themselves. As a matter of fact, the opposite is true. Like they felt fulfilled, you know? And I think what's important is that we come to a point in our life where we realize our life isn't meant just for us. It's meant to give, it's meant to sacrifice, to love others. We really find full fulfillment in that. Um, and you know, that was the RIM that you were mentioning earlier, that mission piece that, that sense that from my identity and my relationship with Christ, that I begin to see the world through another lens, a world that I'm called to serve in, to love others in. And that's where we begin to really find fulfillment because it's not about filling our coffers and making our life more comfortable. It's actually about giving, serving, and loving others. And that's where we find true fulfillment. You know, it's interesting that a lot of people on the back end of their life come to that realization of, man, you know, I've worked my whole life and I'm not fulfilled. And the greatest sort of volunteer base in our country are people who are older, not younger. That's amazing. I believe it. I believe it. Certainly from a, from a developmental perspective, um, you know, Erickson stages of development, the, the last one is generativity versus despair. And, uh, and, and, and I'm with you. I mean, I, I think you're right on with it and I'm not surprised, but, but certainly I hadn't heard that number before. So I'm surprised, I guess, to some degree. If, 
I guess what I'm thinking about now is how do we, how do we teach people that at a younger age? You know, I have a 14 year old, um, and my son's got obviously got friends and with young people that I've counseled and worked with, I just see so much anxiety in this age more than I experienced in my youth and in, in others. Um, what advice or counsel would you give a, a parent who, who has a teenager that's struggling with anxiety and overly worried about whatever, any one of those first world problems or things that, that tend to make us anxious or the optionitis, like you talked about the FOMO, the fear of missing out and, and, and feeling like I, I have to make a decision. I mean, just what, what a counsel would you offer to a parent who, who has a child that does struggle with anxiety? Well, I mean, I think in some ways, you know, don't freak out. Anxiety is just part of all of our lives and particularly young people. I think the latest statistic I read is that anxiety is has a 40% rise among young people since 2005. And so it's just, it's kind of on this uptick and there's numerous factors. We could do a whole nother show on that. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I think to answer your question, like what advice, like I'm going to go back to the identity piece for a second because like I just think like once my kids get out of the house if they don't know who they are they're gonna get lost um and there's no greater platform to teach them that than the adversity that they experience in life from the time they're young through the time they get through high school or college uh, because I think our goal as parents is not to protect our kids from failure it's to help them experience the failure that life gives them but to teach them that they're going to be okay and that their identity is not in who they're defined, you know, by their friends or their failure or whatever life will naturally bring up the ability to teach them that. I mean, as you've learned as a parent, right. Uh, I think we hurt more for our kids when they don't make the team or they make a bad grade or they don't get into this certain friend group or this certain college as parents, we hurt. And yet we want to protect them from that hurt. And I think before we can protect them, although there's, there's some element to that, uh, we need to teach them. Um, so we just kind of use it as a platform and there, there's been some really tough times as parents that we've just have to continue to remind our kids of who they are, you know, um, that this doesn't define them. This doesn't make them. Well said, man. I'm, you're right on it. I think just with regards to I see this. I mean, with respect, I, I mean, we homeschool our kids and, and I know that everybody has a different reason for doing it, but sometimes I just get the sense that a lot of people are doing it because they just want to run for the hills and somehow keep their kids safe. And, and I, I'm listen as a parent, I know we have to, we have a responsibility to keep our kids safe and protect them from what they see and what they interact with without a doubt, but not at the expense of, um, with, how do I say this? Not at the expense of not allowing them to fail or to learn how to um, develop grit or virtue in the midst of those struggles. Um, that that's the lesson I well, want them and to learn. If we don't, yeah, Go ahead. If we don't teach them at home. They're going to, without a doubt, experience anxiety, failure, and stress once they leave home. And if they don't know how to handle it, you know, I think a parent more than anything, you know, oftentimes you're like, well, how can I fix it? How can I get them counseling or medication or, you know, you know, confront the issue so they don't have to and talk to the teacher or the coach. Uh, and some of those things are fine. Like I'm not negating when we have to do certain things. What, but what I'm saying is sometimes we can overcomplicate it 
And if we just use the platform of life that our kids experience to teach them who they are and to be in relationship with Christ, go back to that relationship identity mission, and they have they have the ability to serve the world, um, then then they'll be fine. I encourage my kids try out for the team, go out for the play. Uh, I I want them to fail before they leave home because if they don't know how to handle it, they're certainly going to get hit on the side of the head um, in a time where I'm not able to walk on the side of them. So we want to certainly not be like, well, you know, do something really big where we know you're, it's going to kill you. You know what I'm talking about is let them experience life and um, teach them through it. Yeah. I like that. I, I want my kids to fail um, before they leave home. <laughs> That's put that on a tattoo, put that on a bumper sticker. That's, that's not, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's not what that's we're very saying. anti-culture. Uh, yeah. Cause we want to protect our kids and uh, we don't do them any good by, by, um, you know, protecting them from, from what they're going to experience after, yeah. after life yeah. uh, at home, you know, in, in a sense of like, you know, if they don't make the soccer team, it's not going to kill them. It's right. going to suck. It's going to hurt their feelings. It's going to hurt our feelings. We're going to want to talk to the coach. We're going to want to do all those things. But what if it's just a teaching moment to teach them about who they really are? That's the good. That's the beauty. Um, and, you know, I, all my kids have experienced failure. I mean, they're, they're just going to. It's just part of life. Um, and, you know, I don't know what else to do. But even but in to, that, 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 that to they're remind all, them of who they are. Yeah, but like you're saying, I mean, that they are, even in the experience of their failure, they know that they've been loved. And that's the experience that they right. can take with them is that they know that mom and dad love them. Yep. No matter what, you tried your best, it didn't work out, and, and we deal with it and then we move on. Um, so it's great, man. Those are certainly the keys uh, to, to happiness and the keys to, to being parents and, and loving our kids. So as we're just kind of bringing this interview to a close, um, final couple questions that I ask all my guests, Paul, um, first and foremost, just, is there anything you'd like to plug to take the time to, to talk about or uh, promote? No, I'm not. A, no, I mean, uh, plug your podcast, man. You know, you had me when, uh, you know, I didn't really believe you when you said you're, you're, um, your, um, the name of your podcast was, you know, uh, hope, um, finding hope, always uh, hope, you know, what's the full tagline? Uh, always oh, hope. And always I was like, hope, no, yeah. he, he's wrong. And, uh, you know, when I interviewed you on my show, uh, it just, it just reminded me that even when we don't feel like there's hope, there is. So I love the name. Uh, absolutely. But they can't get the book rethink happiness. It's easy on Amazon. Just type it in, um, or listen to the, Paul George show on podcast. They can look that up. So awesome. I'll have links to, I'll have links to each of those in the show description uh, below. So people can access that. And uh, last question, Paul George, what gives you hope? Man, you know, what gives me hope? There's a lot of things, um, you know, uh, but you know, I mean, hope in Christ, the, the gospel is just always, you know, becoming more and more relevant to me. I think as I get older, um, I, I think there's, there's hope in the world. I see people doing good things and we live in a media time where all the bad things are highlighted, but I just see so much good in the world, good people doing good things, uh, to make the world better. And just want to encourage people just, you know, they'll just get out there and do something good for someone. And, and that, that'll help. Amen. 
Well, thank you, Paul George, so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. God bless you, man. Have a great day. Yeah, this is good. Uh, and let's do it again. I appreciate it. So thanks so much, Dr. Mario. Yeah, you got it. All right. Bye. Awesome. Awesome. Just another great episode. What I took away from my conversation with Paul George was how balance is an ever-shifting term. It's not a set it and forget it type of thing. Just when we think we have a grasp of it, circumstances change, and that's okay. We have to kind of roll with the punches while at the same time setting a plan for life. That's the key. Keep finding the ways to be intentional with what you want out of life and find ways to be able to communicate that with the people who are closest to you. If those people, your friends, your family, your spouses truly love you, they'll help you to be able to get there. But be patient and know how to be prudent as you set your desires out and as you start trying to live and achieve them. So please continue to move forward, find that balance, stay close to the Lord, and He will guide you. Subscribe to the show and we'll catch you next time. Be good and God bless.